1 Samuel chapter 16. And we are going to pick it up reading at verse 12. Where we left off last time. 1 Samuel 16 verse 12. So they sent and brought him in. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about, when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, and one prudent in speech, and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent the messengers to Jesse, and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it would come about that whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and, and, and be well, and the Spirit would depart from him. Okay, so we, <clears throat> we just finished up on the anointing of David. So David was anointed, and it says that the Spirit came upon, the Spirit of the Lord in verse 13, came upon David mightily in that time. Not that David didn't know the Lord previous to that, but now a special anointing from God came upon him. And this is really something quite special that equipped him for battle, for war, because we know from the next chapter that David was able to do these amazing feats where, where if a lion uh, uh, or a bear would take one of his, his lambs or one of his sheep, he would go and attack the lion or the bear and kill it and get his, his animal back. And, and so there were these amazing things that this young man started doing at this point. And remember, at this age, he's about 14, maybe 15 years old. And we talked about how we calculated that last time. But it says at the same time that this evil spirit, this, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in verse 14, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And so in, or, in other words, we'll look at a little bit about demonic activity in just a moment, but I want to pick up on, on some other thought here as well, is that Saul has this, this demon who is terrorizing him. It talks about in verse 14, it says again in verse 15, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. So that we know that there's this evil spirit that was sent by God. So spirits can be used still for God's purposes. And was terrorizing him. So his servants say, hey, you know, there, let someone come and play some music and this will calm you down. And if you think about it, if Jew, the Jews had exorcists. Jew, there was Jewish exorcism practiced. 
And that is, that's very clear in, in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 13. It talks about Jewish exorcists that were active. Jesus even mentioned that. He said, uh, um, he said in, in one of the, the Gospels, he says that um, in Matthew 12, 27, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom do your sons cast them out? So in other words, he was acknowledging that there was Jewish exorcism occurring. But in this case, in this particular case, what they used was the playing of music to calm this man. And it says that, that his servant said, if, if someone comes and plays this music, you will be well for a time. And so Saul says to his messengers, okay, find me such a man. So one of his messengers says, so in 17, it says, Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. So he acknowledged something, he was acknowledging something that wasn't just the spirit being cast out, there was something therapeutic here in the music. So he acknowledges that music could come and it could be used therapeutically. In the same way, there is a place for counseling, for counselors to go to psychiatrists, to go to psychologists, to go to Christian counselors. These sorts of things, the Bible never excludes us from this. Sometimes believers will say, oh, well, I don't believe in psychiatrists. I don't believe in counselors. Well, wait until you're in a real mess in your marriage and you you might want help from a marriage counselor because a good marriage counselor can help a lot. And they're acknowledging something of therapy here. That this particular form of therapy was someone playing music. Now, now watch this thought here. It says, then, in verse 18, Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. So how did David get this job? This job came through a referral. Some messenger of, some messenger, some uh, uh, servant of Saul said, you know, I've seen somebody who can really play well. And in addition to their playing well, he's a mighty man of valor, meaning he's a very brave man. They probably heard of his exploits with, with, with getting, getting the, the flock back from lions and bears that had attacked it. After the Spirit came upon David, he did remarkable things. We don't have a count here. We hear about it in the next chapter. And so he heard about David. He had also heard David play. He had heard David play this instrument. So obviously there was a community now building. And this particular person had heard David play. said he's a mighty man of valor, a warrior. One prudent in speech. So one that could speak well. And he's, on top of that, he's handsome. He's a good-looking guy, so if he's in front of Saul, you know, playing on, the, on, on this harp, or it's particularly the small harp, this lyre, as he's playing, you know, he's not, you know, he's got all his teeth, you know, he's clean-cut, he looks good, he's not going to look horrendous when he's sitting in front of Saul, you know, all of these pieces. So there's this job recommendation, so Saul says, get me, get me this guy, go ahead, do it. So he sends messengers, so how do you get a job? You know, students think, oh, you fill out a resume and you post it on Monster. You know, you post this thing and you get a job. That is one way to get a job. But a much better way to get a job is through recommendation. 
So w- before I hire somebody, I will get letters of recommendation. And what I prefer and always act upon is letters of recommendation from people that I trust. And I don't want to see, oh, that this person is just a good chemist. I want to see that this person is a good chemist, that they're good group citizens, that they, they are driven, that they have passion. There's all these different things. And there's these pieces around what David did that filled in. He wasn't just good in music. You know, to think that if I'm just good at what I do, then I'll be fine. No, you have to be good at your particular field. But you have to be good at other things as well. It's not just, oh, I play music well so people are going to hire me. No, if you're an unreasonable person, if you're the kind of person that comes to work every day dragging your lunchbox behind yourself and, you know, cursing and complaining about everything all day, nobody wants you. And when there's a layoff, you'll be the first to go. And rightly so. Nobody wants you when you're like that. There's a lot that goes on here. What does... It says that he's a skillful musician, but also he's a mighty man of valor, he's a warrior, he's prudent in speech, he's a handsome man, and most of all, the Lord is with him. To have the Lord with you is great. To have a talent is great. But there's other pieces here. You know, you want to be able to speak. You want to be able to relate to people. You want to be able to take advice. Look, David took advice from his father. In verse 20, Jesse took a donkey and loaded it with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Now, I'll tell you what most teenage sons will say. Dad, I don't need to bring all those gifts to the king. I mean, the king's calling me because he wants me to play some music for him. No, it's all right. It's hard for young men to take advice. It is hard for young men to take advice. But let me tell you, take advice particularly from your parents in this. Don't just neglect their advice. We will tell our kids, you know, you're going to this place, make yourself look good. This is an important meeting. They say, oh no, it's not that. No, it's very important. The impression that you make, dress well. You want to go and bring a gift to the king. He says, okay, I'll I'll bring this stuff. He loaded it up with stuff. You know how young people are. No, I, I don't want too much. Look, there's enough here. I don't want to be bothered by all of this. Jesse said, no, take this donkey and bring all this stuff to the king because this is our chance to have him know us as a family. There's this recognition here. Plus, if you can get on his good side, this is going to influence your job way down the line. You know, I see people leaving jobs and sometimes, you know, taking out their frustrations and burning every bridge they can on their way out. This is terrible, because where you formerly worked, it's very important to leave on good terms, to meet with the boss, to meet with the people, and always speak highly of them, so that when you get to your new job, you don't say, oh, those people were a real mess, I hated working for them, they were lousy, da, da, da. No, if they were lousy, don't say it. Just keep that to yourself, because what will happen is the new employer will think, oh, if he talks about those people that way, how's he going to talk about me After he's worked with me. There's all this dynamic that goes around with with getting a job. And it's so much who you know. You think, oh no, this is just an equal opportunity employer. They they screen everybody equally. Well, they do and they don't. They advertise. But if they get a recommendation from somebody they know that this person is really good, that recommendation is worth so much. And you focus in and you, you capitalize on that. So you want to have a good reputation. Who's the guy? Uh, 
not too long ago, who had, who had gotten a job in a, in a radio store in a... In a um, and I had told him, I said, you, you know, you, you've got to talk a little bit more. You've got to be more verbal and communicate and look at people when you're trying to sell and, and deal with them rightly. He says, look, I know what I'm doing. This is what this, this student told me. He says, look, I know what I'm doing. I said, okay. And then a month later, I said, how's the job going? He said, oh, well, I lost the job. I said, was it because of what I said, because you're not relating well enough to people, looking the customer in the eye and being friendly and going the extra mile in the work? He says, no, it had nothing to do with that. He said, oh, why'd you lose the job? He says, well, my boss said I wasn't selling enough. <laughs> you know, duh. You know? When you don't look people in the eye, you come with a lousy attitude, and, and, and you do this, it's going to be hard keeping a job. People give advice because they want you to learn. Learn from this. And this guy came and he brought gifts. This will often happen where I'll get these, these Chinese postdocs to come and they'll always bring a gift. And not that I care so much about the gift, but I understand what they're doing. I understand it and I appreciate this. They're coming with some gift. You know, even if you interview, what you can do, rather than say, sending an email, Hi, thanks for interviewing me. You know, and sincerely so-and-so. That you get a card. That means you go to a store and you buy a card that says thank you on it. And you write, actually with a pen, in that. And you write a thank you note to the people that you interviewed with. And send that to them by mail. That leaves an impression so that even if you don't get that job, they will remember you because that makes you different. There are things that you do that stand out that make you different. And you can't just say, well, I know the Lord, so God's going to open the door. If you're incompetent, it doesn't help. You have, knowing the Lord is great, but there also has to be competency in the position. But not just competency in the particular thing that you do. Say it's playing music. There's all these other things. He's prudent in speech. He speaks well. He looks good. He's handsome, meaning he dresses nicely. That you want to come to work and you don't want to be a slob. And you can't say, well, everybody's a slob at work. Well, you be different. You dress differently. And then that way, when you move on to your next position, they'll say, this person always came well-dressed. There's something different about this person. You be different. It will stand out and you'll get those recommendations. There's a truth here, a treasure. So, anyway, let, let's, let's go back to this, this, this demonic activity in this man. So, it says that in, in, uh, in verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So where did this evil spirit come from? From where? From the Lord. That's what it says. We look at the Bible, we look at what it says. It says the evil spirit came from the Lord, an evil spirit from the Lord. Now, this losing of the spirit, God's spirit, is not something that happens to the believer. You don't have to be concerned by this in the sense that the spirit is there. When you receive the Lord, the spirit takes up residence within you. Now, you can very much, and I can very much, rebel against God's command, and the activity of His spirit in my life will be almost non-existent. His activity in my life, and I open myself up to all sorts of troubles. So just because we have the Spirit, the, the Bible says, so shall we sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. 
So in other words, we can't say, oh, well, the Spirit of God is with me, now I can do whatever I want. Not, you can't do whatever you want in the sense that if you do whatever you want, great troubles will come upon you. It'll destroy your life, it'll destroy your marriage, it'll destroy your relationships, it'll destroy your job. But this Spirit, God is the one who gives. In, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, if you turn back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, uh, Moses is arguing, not arguing or... Well, in a sense, arguing with God, saying that he's, he's not able to handle all of these things that God is asking him to do. That's not it. It's Exodus, I'm sorry, it's Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since your... You have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses had some sort of speech impediment. He was slow of speech. He was slow in tongue. He says, you know, you've called me to speak and to be your, your, your messenger, but I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good messenger. But God said, no, I want you. And then he says in verse 11, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You know, so God is the one who makes us the way we are. God is the one who fills. God is the one who anoints. God is actually the one who can take a man who has some sort of speech impediment and make him the great Moses, the great communicator, the one whose writings have been more read than anyone who's ever lived on earth. This man Moses, the tremendous communicator. God can do this, but God is the one who makes this. God took the Spirit and uses even evil spirits for His purpose. Now you say, well, well, how do we deal with spirits today? There's many ways that they might be dealt with. How did Jesus deal with them? If you turn to, to Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus spoke a word and the demons came out. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 <clears throat> Matthew 8.16 says, Matthew 8.16 says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed those who were ill. So, just spoke a word and the demons came out. That is one of the ways that Jesus dealt with demons. But that is not the only way that he dealt with them. In other, other times, it was differently. Um, look to, look at, at Mark, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. A little bit different in the way he was dealing with them. In Mark chapter 5, verse 7. Mark chapter 5, verse 7. Let's start reading from, uh, from verse... Six. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have to do with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he, asked him, and he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding near 
by on a mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. So this is a little bit more vivid than just speaking a word. But look at what Jesus was doing. It says in verse 8, For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus had all the capability and authority to cast out a demon with just a word. Just speak a word and cast it out. In this case, he was saying to them, Come out. It says he had been saying to them. That means he said it more than once. He said it multiple times, come out, come out. And then the demons say, all right, but if we come out, uh, let us go into those swine. And Jesus said, oh, okay. I mean, so there's deal making here with, with the Lord. <clears throat> why, would the, why wouldn't the Lord just say, no way. Just come out and go into utter darkness, whatever you do. I don't know why. But Jesus dealt with this demon differently. Why does he have to tell it multiple times? Well, Jesus doesn't have to. I think he, he gives this to us for our sake. So that if we have to deal with a demon and speak it more than one time, that it doesn't mean that we're not functioning under the grace of God. If you read through the Gospels, it's like every other or every third page you see Jesus is dealing with a demon-possessed person. So for those of you that don't believe in demons... What you're going to have to do then is cut out every page that has demon in it. Because you don't believe those pages, right? So tear it out. I know you're Joe Scientist and you have this wonderful analytical mind. I'm really impressed. Now this is what the Word of God says. Either you believe it or you don't. So if, if it's fallacy, just rip those pages out. There are demons on every third page. But what's interesting is you go to the book of Acts, which covers a span of about 25 years in the book of Acts, you only see dealing with demons about three times over a 25-year period. Because in Revelation chapter 12, <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it says, During this time that Jesus was on earth, the devil had been cast down to earth. And his manifestations were enormous, were great at this time. This is why we see this huge amount of demonic activity in the Gospels. You don't see it again in the epistles, nor do you see it in the book of Acts. Remember, 25 years span, about three confrontations with demons. So to think that you're going to confront a demon-possessed person every day, you're wrong. Unless it happens to be the same demon-possessed person. But in general, it's not that, oh, that person has a demon. That, no, it's not like that anymore. It was like that in the book of Acts because the devil had been cast down. And Jesus was taking him on constantly. But you see it about three times throughout a 25-year period, which is about where you see it. Now, I have dealt with demon-possessed people, and I've, I've shared this example before because it was right here at, at, uh, at Randall's, just down the road. You know, you know this, this, this supermarket, Randall's. So I was sitting in there one day, they have these chairs, and I, and I was reading the Bible, and, um, and I had gone there for a cup of coffee and just to sit there and read my Bible. This was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago. And I heard a guy walk in, and as he was walking in, he was just cursing. 
And he was saying, I want bluebell ice cream. And he'd be cursing and cursing. And I'm thinking, if you want bluebell ice cream that bad, just go get yourself some bluebell ice cream. So anyway, I wasn't thinking about it anymore. But I had seen people like this, especially when I had done prison ministry. And so then he apparently found his bluebell ice cream and he was walking around eating it. And he started to walk toward me in this little sitting area where I was sitting. And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, and, and I was sitting there reading my Bible. Now, I'm from a Jewish background, but I don't have a sign on my head that says Jew, right? I don't have that, right? So I'm just sitting there reading my Bible, and this guy is walking up, eating his bluebell ice cream. He looks up at me, and he was a middle-aged guy. He looks up at me, he says, well, if it isn't one of the children of the Hebrews, and I knew exactly what was happening that this guy had a demon in him. And I thought, okay, here we go. I'm ready to deal with you. And he walked up, and then he stopped. He froze. He looked at me. He goes, G-U-L-P, gulp. And he turned around and went right out. And so this, this, this was my confrontation with a demon-possessed man. And did I cast it out? No, I didn't have to. The guy took off. And I'm not about to chase him down the road saying, hey, 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 come back here. I want to deal with something. So I've lived in Houston now 11 years. Once in 11 years, there was this confrontation. So it's not that it happens all the time. But there was another way that they were dealing with this with King Saul. With King Saul, there was some therapy going on. It was music therapy. And it would come and it would go. And there were seasons. And that's not to say that someone with demonic activity shouldn't seek therapy. I'm saying sometimes that is the best thing. Sometimes it's not a demon at all. It's just a chemical imbalance. Say, oh, come on. No, it's really a chemical imbalance. Let me tell you, as an organic chemist, we we can give a milligram of certain medications to people. One milligram, and you can alter their brains. You can give them a milligram of a material and you could take Mother Teresa and make her into a mass murderer. You could do that. Because the brain is such a chemically balanced entity that you mess with this just a little bit and it will change behavior you think this person has a demon. Maybe they do. Maybe it's just a chemical imbalance. And there are medications that you can give to stabilize people and say, hey, this is really quite a nice person had nothing to do with demonic activity. It was just a chemical imbalance. And to think that, oh no, it can't be chemistry. Let me tell you, chemistry touches everything. Chemistry is there. And chemistry is wonderful. But when it gets messed up, it can really mess up a a biological organism. So David plays this music back in in, in, in 1 Samuel, and Saul becomes better. And it says Saul likes David so much that he sends a message in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. I like this guy so much, I don't want him to leave. You want to have an employer that really likes you? You go above and beyond, and your employer will really like you. And when there are layoffs, you will not get laid off. Unless the whole company goes under. And what happens in those cases, they say, This person is so good, they find a place for you. They will see to it that you're rehired if you're really good. And it says that in verse 23, whenever David would play the harp with his hands, Saul would be refreshed and well, and the spirit would depart from him. Hey, it works. Therapy can work. In this case, music therapy. There are many ways of dealing with this. 
So you see, what we've learned today is that is that David had things going for him, that jobs come through recommendations, and also demonic activity, and how it's dealt with. And, and uh, um, so, anyway, this is what it says. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the scriptures, for what you teach us. Father, I pray for these young people that they would get into the word of God and be refreshed by it, and encouraged and built up. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we learn. Father, I pray for these young people that they would go well above and beyond in service in their work, doing beyond what other people do, doing beyond what others would expect of them. And Father, that you would teach them from this lesson how to be so appreciated in their jobs because they would be, they'd have their expertise, they'd know the Lord, and they'd go above and beyond in many other things. That they take advice from older ones that would want to instruct them how to appeal to their bosses. Father, I pray that your blessing be upon them. And Father, I pray that your grace be on them to give them a balanced life, to understand what it is to have demon activity going on in the lives of people around them, but to also understand the balance of that and how you work and move. Father, thank you for your mercies. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.